Well, today we wrap up our summer-long look at the life and teachings of the Apostle Peter. We also wrap up the stories of my Uncle Pete. Uncle Pete held many positions at his school in New Mexico, and one of them was librarian. I could never imagine Pete as a teacher or an administrator, although he was that too. But he seemed like a natural as a librarian. Quiet, bookish, more likely to shush you than to say an upsetting word. Pete was a stereotypical librarian. But not so much the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter says some things that, that could upset people. In fact, he's not above criticizing, in a mild way, the great biblical writer, the Apostle Paul. Peter says that, that Paul is hard to understand. Here's literally what he says in 2 Peter. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Okay, so, so Peter has a legitimate complaint with Paul. What Paul writes in the Bible can be hard to understand, but Peter is no better. Some of what he writes is hard to understand, or even worse, hard to accept. Have you ever read something in the Bible that, that made you think, that can't be right? How can that be God's word? You ever read something in the Bible that made you upset? The Apostle Peter teaches some things that, that maybe we don't want to hear. And when we do hear them, they make us stop and, and go, he said, what? Like his teaching on submitting. Four times in his two short letters, Peter tells people to submit to someone else. In 1 Peter 5, he tells younger people to submit to their elders. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, for those of us uh, over 40, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> those young whippersnappers ought to listen to their elders. But if you are under 40, you're going, he said, what? Is he crazy? It's you elders that have screwed up our world. Why should we be listening to you? I'm not going to submit in any way to you folks. Right off the bat, Peter offends half the population, those under 40. But he's only getting started. Here's a verse to upset just about everyone. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. What? Submit to human authorities? 
I submit to no one. No government official is going to tell me what to do. I am my own person. Ah, but wait, there's more. First Peter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit to your own husbands. Now we're really treading on thin ice. You know, we had a wedding here yesterday. Paige and, and Jay Sorg got married right up here. And I can assure you that Paige did not pledge to love, honor, and obey Jay. That was the part of the old wedding vows. But I've been doing weddings for 40 years, and not one bride has requested that we use the vows that have the pledge to obey her husband. It wouldn't even occur to them. We may be married, they might say, but, but he's not the boss of me. We're in a partnership. Well, and finally, maybe the most shocking of all, Peter tells slaves to submit to their masters, even those that, that are not good masters. 1 Peter 2.18 Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. Remember, at this time, slavery was not a black and white thing. All sorts of people became slaves for all sorts of reasons. But people hear this today and they say, the Bible, it, it, it's full of crap. I mean... Peter must be some kind of racist, misogynist, ageist jerk wanting to force innocent people into abusive relationships. People need to be told to stand up for their rights, not to back down, never to submit to anyone. The Bible seems so out of touch, and Peter makes us angry. But hear him out. He's not saying what you think he's saying. Peter is not saying that someone has the right to abuse you, the government, a spouse, a racist, or an elder. That's wrong. And if you are one of those, in one of those positions and you're forcing your will on others, stop it. Just stop it. And Peter's not saying that, that people in authority are better or smarter or more worthy than us. That's just not true. Look at the candidates that we get to, to choose from. They're just like us, or worse. And Peter's not, not telling you to, to enjoy submitting because somehow being a masochist is fun. Some people misuse these scriptures to, to get their own way. As, as Peter says, ignorant and unstable people distort these scriptures to their own destruction. And to others, I would add. But Peter's view on submitting is completely different from what people often think. The kind of submitting that Peter is talking about is not what the weak do because they have no choice. No, it's what the strong do because they choose to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, like we heard about last week. Jesus was in actuality God, but he chose to humble himself, taking on the form of a human being, the form of a servant, even going to the cross to save us. For Peter, 
Submitting is not a question of who is in control. It's a question of how can we best show others Jesus. If you're a jerk insisting on your own way, putting yourself above others and bossing them around, well, it's pretty hard to get them to listen to anything you have to say about Jesus. So Peter says, submit yourself. Take yourself down a notch on that pedestal. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to human authorities and others. Let me just continue on with what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Remember, Jesus was crucified by Pilate because he saw him as a threat to his government. And the early Christians had to overcome the fake news that they were some kind of anti-government rebels trying to, to create a rebellion to overthrow the government. Because when people looked at them that way, they wouldn't listen to their message about Jesus. Politics got in the way of hearing the gospel message. And so Peter says, show proper respect to everyone, even those who are in the government, for the Lord's sake. By going above and beyond and doing good, you can silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, is what he says. And it's the same way when he tells women to submit to their husbands. He he doesn't tell them this because their husbands are always right or superior. You didn't need me to tell you that, right? But uh, he didn't tell them because they're, and, and somehow their husbands were above them, just the opposite. He asked them to choose to do this so that their actions might win their ignorant, unbelieving husbands to Christ. Again, humbling oneself like Jesus is a strategy to win the lost. It's sort of like this. If you woke up and saw that it snowed last night, and I know we're in August, so think, think December. If you woke up and saw that it snowed last night and your neighbor's driveway was needed to be shoveled, you could choose to be a servant to your neighbor and go and shovel them out. Now your neighbor knows you're a Christian, and, and setting that kind of example of love might cause them to think differently about about Jesus. You might even get an opportunity to witness to them about the Lord when they come and thank you afterwards. Now that neighbor had no right to make you shovel their driveway, and you had every right to sit in the comfort of your own home. But for the Lord's sake, as a servant of the great servant, you might choose to submit your rights and do what you didn't have to do and shovel the neighbor out. Peter might have found Paul confusing, but I think in this matter, uh, Paul is actually clearer than Peter. Because time and time again, Paul chooses not to exercise his rights 
so that his rights wouldn't get in the way of people listening to the gospel of Jesus. Do you recall what Paul's occupation was? Who knows? What was Paul's occupation? Tent maker. Made tents. Right. But he was also a missionary. And as a missionary, he had every right to receive financial support from the churches for him to do that. Still, he didn't take that financial support. He earned his living making tents so that no one might accuse him of preaching the gospel of Jesus just for his own financial gain. Here's what he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And why did he do this? Well, he explains in verse 19, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the Jewish law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under that law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the Jewish law I become like one not having the law, although I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Paul's point is the same as Peter's. I have a right, but I'm not going to exercise my right at this time because I've got bigger fish to fry. I'm less concerned about exercising my rights than I am about leading people to Jesus. I'm more concerned about following Christ than I am with exercising my rights. Paul gives another example when he talks about food offered to idols in the preceding chapter, chapter 8. The church has been arguing about whether it is all right for Christians to eat meat that has been sacrificed to these pagan gods. See, when they would do the, the sacrifice, um, it wasn't all just burned up on, on the altar there. Most of the animal was, was then shared or sold, uh, used in some way. It was eaten. And the Christians were arguing about saying, if you eat that meat, then you are, then you are worshiping that pagan god. And Paul says, there are no such things as pagan gods. They don't exist. So that meat is perfectly fine to eat. But not everybody knows this. Not everybody knows that. And so some might think that you are, by eating that, you're encouraging them to worship pagan gods. And then you might damage their weak faith and conscience. And so he tells them that, that it's not worth it. You have every right to eat that eat that meat offered to that pagan idol, but if it's going to cause somebody else to waver in their faith, then, then it's not worth it. Don't do it. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. 
When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Paul would rather submit to Jewish food laws or pagan thinking or to the conscience of a weaker faith member than to give up the opportunity to win someone to Christ and have them united with the Lord. When I was in college, I had a Jewish professor. Professor Steve shared this experience of being invited by a Christian friend of, friend of his to dinner. Now, in my memory, it was Easter dinner, but it might not have been. That was a long time ago. But whatever it was, the Christian friend intentionally served ham, which, according to the Jewish food laws, is not something they can eat. And this friend knew it. When Professor Steve kindly declined to eat it, his host went into a long diatribe about how he could eat anything he wanted. God had told Peter in the Bible that. Remember when Peter had that vision of the sheet with all those animals come down and God says, kill and eat. Don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. The host was sharing all of this wonderful biblical knowledge. And he had every right to serve what he wanted to serve. It was his house and his dinner. But how do you think the professor felt? Do you think he was more or less likely to engage in a conversation about Jesus? What if the host had set aside his right and submitted to following the Jewish food laws for the sake of his guest, for the sake of Jesus? He could have served lamb. Maybe that would have led to, to a conversation about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His, friends could have, his friend could have eaten that, and they might have had a conversation about Jesus. At the very least, the, the professor would have gone away thinking positive thoughts about Jesus and his follower instead of being hurt and angry. That's what Peter means by submit. To intentionally humble ourselves, to move ourselves out of the number one spot, even though we have, may have every right to be there, and to do it for the sake of reaching people for Jesus. If you rejected Peter's words in the Bible because you were mistaken about his meaning, then I hope that this is, has helped you in some way. And if you still think that the Bible is full of it, because your needs are number one and your will should be done and, and you'll never put anybody else's needs above your rights, well, then you and Peter are just going to have to disagree. There was a time when he thought he knew more than Jesus. There was a time when Peter thought Jesus should do things his way, the way Peter wanted them done. There was a time when, when Peter thought being the rock on which Jesus would build the church meant it was all about him. But then life humbled him. He was called Satan. He denied Jesus. He was broken. But the risen Jesus forgave him. The Holy Spirit filled him. And leading others to Jesus became more important 
than getting his way. That's the legacy that Peter has left for us. My Uncle Pete left a legacy of, of love and memories for my brothers and me. But Uncle Peter has left us so much more. He's left us the church and his words in the Bible. And I'm going to leave you with Peter's concluding words in his first letter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the witness of, of Peter. For the examples of his leadership and also the example of his failures for his words that, that seem so clear and positive. And also, it's hard to say this, Lord, but we thank you even for the things that confuse us and are hard and we struggle with. Lord, it, it's hard not to, not to put ourselves in the number one position, especially when we have a right to be there. It's hard to think of others and and do things for their sake and not just our own. But you gave us the example in Jesus of loving so much that you go to the ends of the earth and you did it for us even when we weren't deserving while we were yet sinners. Oh God, this week, help us to go out and, and be your people. And uh, heaven forbid, may not snow, but uh, if we do see a neighbor in need, may we respond to them in love. If we struggle in our family, Lord, give us grace to treat them as you would. And Lord, even when we shake our heads at what the politicians do. May we still be supportive of our communities, our states, our country, our world. Because we belong to you. We are yours. And we submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name.